Welcome to Hardware Addicts, a proud member of the Destination Linux Network. Hardware Addicts is the podcast that focuses on the physical components that power our technology world. In this episode, we're going to discuss Risk Five and why companies like Apple are now ramping up their investment in this open source architecture. Then we're going to head to Camera Corner, where Wendy will discuss Sony's latest patent on a curved sensor. So sit back. Relax and plug in because Hardware Addict starts now. I'm Ryan, your tech guide through the universe, and with me today are my two co hosts, Wendy, a resident photographer extraordinaire, along with hardware enthusiast, and Michael, the software sage and hardware Padawan. Let's find out what tech adventures everyone has had this week. Michael, what have you been doing in the hardware world? I got a pine time. We talked about this on a previous. Look at you. Right? Nice. We talked about the, the pine time. We all got pine times now. And uh, this is a really, really interesting device because it's so cheap. It, and then when it got here, it blew my mind with the quality that it's, that it's like the hardware quality and stuff. Like it, it even has like a, a base that you have a magnetic mount to to charge it and all kinds of stuff. So like the fact that it's only like what thirty five bucks with shipping, it's a crazy good deal for this thing. I mean, there's there's still I mean there's you know some rough edges to kind of polish up and stuff like that. But for what it is, I mean, it's it's awesome. What was the setup like out of the box? It may surprise you, but mine's still sitting in a box. Uh, what? I know. I know. Hey, Michael, what's up? I've been wanting to take <laughs> it out and do the unboxing on a video, and I haven't gotten around to doing a video, so it's been like sitting here on my desk. So what is the experience? When you take this out of the box, is it ready to go, it, or is there a lot of setup? It is ready to go, except it's not charged, so you do have to charge right. it first. But everything else is pre- ready to go. It's already got the Infinitime firmware on it. It's already, you know, pretty much got everything. And also, it's a really nice unboxing because it's, you know, it's it's a very uh, well-packaged thing that Pine typically does anyway. But it's just, they put attention to detail there too, which, and they have like a little booklet. And the, the booklet is, do not throw that away as, as a person. It is very important. Yeah, as very a person important. that I know who you are, you are the type of like, who needs instructions? You need instructions this time, Ryan. So No way. Yes. I'll never do it. You'll never make me do it. <laughs> Listen, I don't read any instruction manuals. Even Lucas, who contacted me, who's a representative from Pine64, he was telling me that my question that I had was actually in the manual online that they had for the Pine book, I think, at the time. And I was like, I refuse. Just give me the answer here. I will not read a manual. <laughs> Michael. I will not read this manual for this watch, and I will get it running. So I, I assume you're going to call me, and I'm going to read it to you. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. Of, of so we should is. collaborate on this there, Ryan. I have got the unboxing video done. I just haven't had time to go back and do the, hey, here's the setup, and this is how it's working. So. Oh, nice. We could yes. kind of do a little collab. You do the unboxing part. I do the setup part. That exactly. means I'll have to read the manual. Yes. So I see your little scheme here. Well done, because I don't want to look <laughs> stupid on a video. So I will I will read the manual, in fact, this time, and, and we'll nice. do a, a co-release there. And we've never done that before. That'll be really exciting. We haven't. So, Wendy, what have you been up to? 
Tomorrow is the very first day of our Thursday co-op. I am teaching a computer class this semester there, and so I have spent the day plugging in a bunch of different laptops, making sure they're all updated and batteries are charged. And there are some laptops, because these are older use systems, there's some where the batteries are no good, so this is time for me to make sure hey, can this hold a charge long enough in order to get through a one-hour class? We're on the final countdown, and I can't wait for tomorrow. Very nice. So are you teaching Linux in this school, or is it just computers in general? Well, they are all running Linux. Right now, they're all running Kubuntu. These are really neat little systems that were donated for the use of being in this homeschool co-op. They're life books, and the really cool things about these laptops, the screens swivel, and you can turn them all the way down and lay them flat. They have built-in Wacom into the screen, and they come with a pen, so you can use them for all kinds of different things. The touchscreen on them is really nice. The kids were playing with that a little bit, helping me kind of test them out, seeing what all comes on in these systems. Like I said, they're all running Kubuntu, but the class that we will be doing this semester is basic HTML and CSS. So they'll be doing it on Linux. They'll be using Kate in order to write their HTML and CSS and looking it up on Firefox as their test browser. Very cool yeah, stuff, that's awesome. Wendy. That's awesome. Yeah. And are your kids excited about the fact that you're going to be a teacher or are they... Are they going to be in this class? None of my kids are in this class. My daughter was super bummed that she wasn't going to be in this class. During that same time period is an ecology class. She took it last year. The guy that teaches it actually teaches college classes around here also. And she absolutely loved the class. And when they were competing, she's like, Mom, I can get this information from you at home. I'm going to the ecology class again. So none of my kids are in it. But that's okay. And they're used to me being a teacher at this class. This is our fourth year as members of this particular co-op. I think that works perfectly because it's always easier to yell at strangers, kids. (laughs) I try not to even when I want to. (laughs) (laughs) But it's awesome that you're doing this because this is, especially with the computer class, and I I like the the HTML thing is a good way to kind of get some, get them, introduced to coding without going into like the weeds of the the craziness and and one uh, of my favorite things about html too is it's so easy to quickly see where you're at with it you can put in some lines of code open up your html in a browser and see what it looks like it's this being able to see oh okay i messed up and going back and figuring out why things are the way they are there's this very simple and easy way of i do and what comes out of what I put in the text editor. Yeah, that's a good way of doing it because it's it makes it a lot easier. And also you can maybe set up one of those things that have like a preview, like an automatic preview system because there are some editors that make that possible. That would be really nice. If you have some suggestions for those, let me know. I was trying to look into some of that and I couldn't find one in my searches, but... Because all of them were basically, you know, the, the simple editors where it was just the plain text editors. I'm like, we might as well just use Kate because I like Kate. I'm very familiar with it. I use it all the time. Yeah, it's a that's a good option too. I'll I'll get a list for you, and uh, if we 
if I get some a good list, I might put it in the show notes too. Awesome sauce. <laughs> I'm dealing with older laptops. You got another new laptop or wait, you're working on somebody else's laptop. Yeah, this time I have to work on someone else's laptop. I didn't ask for this, by the way. It's your fault, Wendy. Your co-host, Matt, aka Dark One, sends me in the mail randomly. He's like, all of a sudden, I just get a message like, here's the tracking number. I'm like, for what? He's like, an elite book, 8760, which is a very big laptop this is a desktop replacement <laughs> through and through workstation this thing is massive the power brick itself massive is like the size of my mixer it's huge it's a very big laptop it's a very powerful laptop and he sent along with it two video cards because he wasn't sure which one would work because he wanted to upgrade the video card on this elite book 8760 now, that should shock a lot of you in the audience who may be younger that, yes, in fact, there was a time when you could upgrade your laptop, including its video card. You could actually what? swap out the video card. And despite the size of this particular laptop, that portion is actually really small. It doesn't take up a lot of room at all because the GPU is extremely flat and it just slides into a slot. The problem with this particular laptop, though, is that you have to take the entire thing apart from the bottom and take out about 16 different screws and then flip it over and take off the keyboard, take out some more screws to take off the top panel before you can actually get to the GPU, which is also under about eight different ribbon cables that are the teeniest, tiniest ribbon cables uh. you could possibly imagine attached throughout this top panel requiring me to use tweezers like a surgeon to not only get them out, but to put them back in. So when you said when you said this was repairable and you could replace the GPU, you were being a little generous with that. Because that sounds like a lot of work. Why do you think Matt sent it to Ryan? <laughs> exactly. So HP did a great job making a repairable laptop back then. They just didn't do a good job of how you get into that laptop to repair it. That wasn't the greatest design ever. And yes, that is exactly what Matt said when I whined to him about how many ribbon cables and things I had to put in there. He's like, that's why I sent it to you. You think I wanted to do this crap? So <laughs> he went from a K3100M to a Quadro M3000 4 gigabyte GPU. And I did do some stress testing and some benchmarking on the GPU to make sure I had the thermals right. I did good pasting that type of thing and it was really impressive results you know that type of card obviously this is an older machine it's an older card but doing some benchmarks it was running in the 127 frames per second 1920 by 1080 on medium settings which is really impressive again this is medium settings the benchmark i particularly chose wasn't a super extensive benchmark but it was it shows that this card is quite capable of doing some you know, medium to low end gaming at some really great frame rates. So what I like about what Matt's doing is he's keeping this old technology new and keeps getting new life out of this laptop by continuing to randomly ship it to me. <laughs> yes. And in the background, he laughs to me and Nate about the wondrous troubles you go through to repair this. Well, it's funny because apparently I'd worked on this machine before, but I hadn't remembered because it's been years. And there's a lot of laptops in between. So I, when I was taking the GPU 
off and I forgot what I did on the laptop before. I think it was broken and I had to repair it or something. Uh, I noticed the thermal paste was really well applied. And I mentioned it to Matt and he's like, yeah, because you worked on it last time. So I was like, oh, <laughs> I see my own work. <laughs> At least you Pat know yourself it was on good. the back there. Yep, a little bit, a little bit. You should get like some small DOS Geek stickers and then put them inside of the machines you work on. That way, if they come back, you can sell. That's a really good idea. That way, <laughs> Matt can't trick me a second time. I'll be like, wait a minute, I've already worked on this thing. <laughs> this episode of Hardware Addicts is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service, or DBAAS, or as I like to refer to it as DBOSS. With the managed MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. Because DigitalOcean is going to be handling all this administration for you for this MongoDB, but you can bet them handle the provisioning, the managing, the scaling, the updates, the backups, the security, pretty much everything of your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc., which means together they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of the MongoDB database as they become available. And as a listener of the Hardware Addicts podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free, actually better than free, because with DigitalOcean, they're going to give you a $100 free credit by going to do.co slash dln-mongo. Again, go to do.co slash dln-mongo, M-O-N-G-O, to get started with their $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new managed MongoDB service. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Hardware Addicts. So this week, I wanted to talk about something that hit the news that I found extremely interesting. Everyone has just started to accept ARM. And it's really been a dominant technology in the ecosystem for smartphones, for laptops. But there's another player now in the market, and they're getting a lot of attention because really big names like Apple are starting to invest in it in a big way. And before we get into this, we kind of have to understand how this whole system with ARM and things works. So Apple switched to ARM, all of their devices. It was a big deal. They moved away from Intel. People were freaking out. They sold a gajillion of these ARM-based laptops. Everybody from Linux to Windows world is asking, when are we going to get ARM-based stuff now? And ARM is a really interesting structure because they actually license out their architectures. They have to also pay royalty fees. So Apple, even though they have their own custom ARM design, you'll notice in a lot of their advertisings, they won't say the word ARM because they have all this custom design, still have to pay royalty fees to ARM. And here's a quiz for you, Michael. Who is trying to buy ARM right now? Oh, I actually know this. NVIDIA. That's right. Yeah. So if you're Apple and you have NVIDIA coming in, and Apple, of course, they have their own GPU in this ARM lineup. And you have NVIDIA coming in and potentially buying this company. And this is just my guess, but it's probably not the best idea to potentially... Now, I've heard that that merger may not happen with those companies, but it's probably not the best idea to have yourself all your eggs in one basket here, which Apple, I think, is looking at in the bigger picture. And... They're having to pay all of these license and royalty fees out to ARM. So is there something else out there that still utilizes the risk or reduced instruction set computing architecture that companies like Apple could leverage? There is, 
And that is Risk Five. But Risk Five is that something that Apple would want to use? Well, apparently it is because they now have job offerings out there for individuals who can develop for Risk Five. So they're already starting to hire in this world, and this. ISA or instruction set architecture was first developed by UC Berkeley engineers, but then it got turned over to the Risk Five Foundation. And as you know, it's kind of the Linux of the instruction set world in that it's open source, which means oh, yeah. you won't have to pay those royalty fees necessarily. Now, there is a commercial support license available. So companies who don't want to be responsible for fixing their own bugs and that type of thing but there's no royalty fees to speak of. And that could save Apple a ton of money if they can get some risk five development, or at least make sure they're not putting all their eggs in just one basket. So this could be one of those things. And Apple has so much gajillions of dollars that it's pretty easy for them to just say, Hey, let's just hire a bunch of people and go explore what risk five could be just in case we need to. Yeah. I mean, I would love for them to do this because I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of risk five as an architecture because of the open source factor, but also the, the blueprints available because it's, it's not just people say like, you know, the code is open source. This is like the entire instruction set is open so that you can build, basically build whatever you want, but it's also fairly new in its lifespan. I mean, it's not incredibly new. It's been around for many years, but in terms of actual like momentum, it's it's been building only for the past couple of years, and we're at a situation now where there, if if Apple were to do something with Risk Five, that would be able to crank up the production of Risk Five based hardware, which would be able to lower the supply and demand situation. Because right now, if you want to get a Risk Five, you and you you're basically looking at like sm really really small chips or really really expensive but powerful chips. And that's, yeah. the, that's the, the, if, if Apple was to do this, that would be amazing. Cause that would basically, you know, break, break down that, that difference between those two factors. I'm really curious how they're going to lock it down afterwards. If they actually start implementing it into the hardware, they're really not known for being able to play with the software on the devices. And after so long, and your MacBook's not getting updates anymore, you can't install apps anymore. And that's one of those times when somebody's like, oh, I'd like to repurpose it and put something else on it. But if it's all open, is it now going to be one of those situations where they can't lock it down? Or they find another way to make sure that only Mac OS stays on those devices. I don't even think that Apple locks down their stuff really. Like they make it where it's really annoying. Yes, but they don't outright make it impossible because it is possible to change what is on their hardware. It is not easy and they but they could have done something when they made the M1 Mac chip. They could have uh, changed it so that it wouldn't be possible to boot anything whatsoever other than Mac OS. But they did make it possible to boot Linux if you wanted to, or any, uh, an alternative operating system in general. But they didn't do any work to make it possible. They just made it not locked down. So it, in, in theory, they could do something similar where you'd actually have to reverse engineer it or something like that to make it all work. But I think there would be a value in doing it just for the RISC-V architecture itself if they were to do it. Plus, to answer your question more directly and concisely, how are they going to lock it down? Glue. Glue. You hate that. They like glue. <laughs> I agree with Lots Wendy here. My fear in listening to this, the advantage of having an open standard is the community itself can contribute to this. 
but companies like Apple generally don't have, especially recently, a good history of supporting open source. They'll use what they can for themselves. They may not lock it down specifically, like you said, Michael, but they're not necessarily going to contribute back either. And I guess this goes into the licensing discussion we had on Destination Linux last week, where you really need to make sure your licensing is in order so that companies like Apple start utilizing this they have to contribute back to the underlying code for any fixes or anything else that they establish here. So it'll be interesting to see how that works. Now, companies like Sci-5 are already building motherboards under products like their Hi5 Unmatched, which is pushing RISC-V Linux development with a platform in a PC form factor. This specific board powered by the Sci-5 Freedom U740 is considered a high-performance, multi-core, 64-bit, super-scalar RISC-V processor. And they've actually, under Linux, been able to get this Hi5 paired with an AMD Radeon RX 6700 XT graphics card using the Mesa Gallium drivers, proving that there's a very real possibility the future could be an open-source operating system along with an open-source instruction set behind it, which is pretty freaking cool dreams do come true maybe they're also looking at utilizing this for machine learning artificial intelligence and even supercomputers are in the works as it relates to risk five so i think we're going to be hearing a lot more about this architecture in the future which is why i wanted to make sure we covered it here on this episode so that everybody starts hearing it they kind of have an idea of what this is all about and like everyone mentioned having an open standard here means that a lot of the community could get involved in this And now that other big companies are starting to come in, RISC-V up to this point, which I think is the point you made, Michael, has faced kind of the chicken and the egg problem. You need this healthy community to support the architecture, but to draw a healthy community, you need to have a healthy ecosystem where they have investing time in it from people because they don't want to invest their time in something that's going to die. But with all this attention coming into RISC-V, it sounds like both of those problems are starting to solve themselves and you're going to have a big community starting to push and support this. And open source, of course, is always a good thing in my mind. Yeah, that's that's awesome, and I, I think that I think that there's a ton of potential that Risk Five already has a lot of growth because there's a lot of companies behind it. I mean, there's people like even Western Digital has ma- made versions with Risk Five. There's tons of stuff that that you see the value of Risk Five for many years, and I've been really excited to try it myself. I'm not much of a hardware person, but I'm a big open source f- fanatic or as I refer to it as an open sorcerer and there are nice. yeah right and there and there's uh, so I've been wanting to try a risk 5 machine for so long but they're also the ones that are interesting me enough for me to try is uh, not it's not in my price range so I want that to come down this close enough where I can get it but there is something you can like we talked about the pine time earlier in the show and there is something you can get from pine that is risk 5 and that is the pine seal soldering iron uses a risk five chip that's pretty cool yeah like arm you can put this chip in pretty much anything in fact you know iot devices specifically are something that was heavily targeted but like arm it's kind of expanding away from that single use purpose and able to be utilized in everything potentially all the way up through your desktop computer and then we talk about competition being a good thing all the time on this show. Like we don't like to put down Intel or AMD or NVIDIA or any of them too much. 
unless they do something really stupid, just because it's good to have that competition. It might push the company. You might be more of a fan boy over kind of push them forward because they have that competition. Cause without that, it becomes really stagnant. And I love seeing that we have the same thing happening here. The future is heading away from the dominant X86 and we've got arm in there also as a dominant player. But now you've got some other architectures that are coming in like this risk five and I think this is only going to make everyone stronger in the end and may the best win. This episode of Hardware Addicts is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as ad- additional authentications, such as a master password and adding fingerprints to password security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is the password manager that I use and trust because it is open source. You can self-host it. They have security audits, and they share all of that information with you, the user. Go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. Say you want that premium account. It starts at just $10 per year. What do you get with that premium account? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, or Duo, Vault Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator, Storage, and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for free. All right, Wendy, take us into the camera corner and tell us what the heck is a curved sensor anyways? Well, we know the sensors in our camera are flat. They're square, right? Yes. I totally knew that. I like them flat. I don't want anything but flat. Everything else is bloat if it's not flat. Yes, it's bloat. (laughs) Right. So anyway, (laughs) we've talked about the sensor in terms of our eye before. It uses red, blue, and green on the pixels in order to determine what the color is, just like our eyes do. It uses how much light is entering that pixel to adjust how light and dark that thing is. But one of the things our sensors don't do is they're not round. They're not shaped. The shape of our eyes, and if we're looking at it in terms of a camera, You have your eye and in front of your eyeball is the lens that changes shape in order to focus that light on the back of your eye. And the back of that eye is also rounded. It's not a complete circle, but it's pretty close. And that helps make sure that everything stays in better focus from the center point where you're looking to things around the outside. Now, For years, from the time of film, that sensor has been flat. And there's been talk about making a curved sensor because of the way that it can better focus the eye, the way that it can better add light to those outer corners. And one of the problems that people have with the standard sensor and your lenses is you'll get that vignetting on the outside. And that's where it's actually darker on the outside than it is in the center of the picture. This is particularly noticeable with older images. They didn't do this on purpose. It's because you're using a lens and they do try and compensate with that on your lens. If you pick one up 
I don't know if any of you have one close to hand, but mine is right here. I was showing my daughter this earlier. The front of the lens is rounded. The back of the lens has some round and it's trying to compensate for the fact that it is trying to focus this light across a flat area. Now, if you're able to round that sensor and you have a little bit of round to the front of your lens, you now have this much better way to focus that light and get a cleaner picture, get cleaner light on every single part of that sensor. Now, here's the problem. How do you bend that sensor? And they're struggling. They've been really struggling to get that done. They've been multiple studies saying, hey, this is great. We've done the research. We know it'll be better. We're just not entirely sure how to do that. And then the other downside of this is the lens in your eye changes shape depending on which distance you're looking at in order to focus that light onto the back of your eye. This would work really good with a prime lens. And if we're jogging back in our photography language lessons, a prime lens is one that does not zoom in and out. It stays the same focal length every single time. If you have a prime lens and a curved sensor, you can end up getting some gorgeous sharp images where everything is clean all the way from the center to the very edge. Now the struggle is what happens when you have a zoom lens? The shape of that curved sensor will have to change. Now, Sony has put out a patent for a curved lens, but this isn't going into any big mainstream camera. No, this patent is for a cell phone camera sensor with a fixed lens on top of it. This is really cool for a couple different things. Your sensor's a little bit smaller, so it won't take as much of a curve on that sensor to have it fully inside that new lens structure. Where it is a fixed lens, none of that will move. You don't have to deal with the sensor needing to change shape or any of that adjustment period. Now this is just a patent. There has been some talk about Sony possibly putting out a handheld point and shoot that's also set up this way. I can't wait to see what they do with it. I'm so excited for this technology. And even though I tell people have a, a real camera in hand, a physical camera, and that's what it does is takes pictures and video, this actually has me excited for the future of cell phone cameras. No, this is really cool. And I like that it actually makes you excited for cell phone cameras a little bit, Wendy, because... It seems like, in fact, I was looking at a post, Apple just posted that they're going to have an event soon. We all know probably is going to be a phone around this time. Historically in September, that's when they do their releases, but we'll see. But either way, people were joking on a Reddit forum like, oh, the new iPhone 14 now with an improved camera and a slightly improved processor that's slightly more faster and slightly more RAM. And that will be the end of the entire presentation. But of course, they'll talk about it like it's this whole revolution. And it's so magical. that's kind of how people are jaded towards the cell phones releasing these days is that it seems to be a hundred percent focused on the cameras inside of them, which of course through your education, we've learned generally a lot of that stuff is just really big numbers to try to impress people, but you got to look at the actual pictures themselves. And of course that sensor inside 
But it looks like what Sony's doing here could really be a game changer for the camera world for once well, in the phone. You market. said that they're focused on that, but are they auto focused on that? Oh, come on, Michael. <laughs> no dad jokes on this. We almost made it through the whole episode with no dad Got jokes. Em. You know. He's been really good for a long time about not throwing dad jokes in the middle just at the very end. And those dad jokes are coming back in I mean, full we're, force. We're full sort force. of at the end a little bit, kind of. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're getting there. So now you have flat earthers and you'll have a group of people who will be flat censorers as well, where they'll refuse to move to the curved technology. <laughs> It would be really hard to move to the curved technology in general because if you already have a camera and you have this series of lenses that you're having to start all over again from a brand new body to all of those lenses. And when this technology comes out, maybe not so much for the cell phone cameras, but when it comes out for probably just in mirrorless cameras, it might be in some DSLRs, though those are going the way of the dodo bird as we've talked before. But you have this entire new system that you have to invest in from the camera body to the lenses. Though I was really interested by one of the ways Canon has tried to solve the problem of that sensor changing shape. They have done some work on adding magnets between the sensor and the lens and using that where you're zooming in order to flex that sensor into the right position. There is still so much work that needs to go into making this happen. And when it does, it is not going to be cheap technology. Is this a situation in which whoever comes out with this first is going to leave the competitor in the dust? And can anybody keep up with Sony right now in the camera market, in the mirrorless? It seems like they're so far ahead of anyone else, at least in my purview of the camera world. They definitely have the market cornered when it comes to cell phone sensors. Their sensors are in most phones. Sony keeps bringing the heat here. I have been drooling over. I've told you many times wanting to get that Xperia 1.3 out there, which the one thing Sony needs to work on is their naming convention. That would be really, really nice if they'd improve that. But they've been killing it. That's the one phone that's really kept my interest for several months of wanting to get my hands on there. And like you said, Sony's kind of killing it in the phone market and the mirrorless market. Those are the cameras that me and Michael utilize for our podcast. Absolutely love them. If I was going to buy a personal camera to leave in auto mode and take pictures of my family with, it would definitely be a Sony mirrorless camera. Leave in auto mode for sure. Also, if they do decide to do this since this curb sensor in more places, I have a slogan for them. Uh, been there, done flat. Wow, that's that's <laughs> actually really good. And and we just need to shut this episode down or the dad jokes will never end. So that's it. Our 44th episode of Hardware Addicts is now a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you your bi-weekly tech fix. And if you're not all lit up on tech yet, then be sure to check out all of the amazing content on Destination Linux Network. Head to destinationlinux.network to check out all the great podcasts and YouTube partners available. There is so much there to fill your brains with. Remember, there's no such thing as too much hardware. Learn, build, innovate, and grow. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next time where we risk five curved sensors on the next episode of Hardware Addicts. 